Welcome to The Talk at Revolution, where each week we explore what it looks like to find Jesus and live like Him in a practical way. At Revolution Community Church, we know that we are better together. Each week, we look to celebrate Jesus, connect with others, and contribute to the church, community, and beyond. If you'd like to connect with Revolution or take a next step, please visit us at revolutioncc.org or at our Logansport, Indiana campus located at 3930 East Market Street. And now, we hope you are encouraged and challenged by this talk. Mark chapter 12, verses 35 through 40 say, While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, Why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Thanks so much, Adam. All right, well, hey, Welcome again. This is week three of a series we've been in at Revolution called The Final Week. And uh, again, welcome to all of you watching online. This is the very first ever Revolution live broadcast in this way, so so glad you're joining us. Uh, Last time I looked, there was over 600 people across the, the platforms that were live with us right now, so just amazing. My name's Anthony. I'm the lead pastor of Revolution, this uh, movement of Jesus that started in Logansport, Indiana, this small town, north central Indiana, almost 10 years ago now. So glad you're tuning in. And, and feel free to share thoughts, comments, questions in, in the comments section on whatever platform you're watching right now. We have volunteers that are ready to kind of engage with you in those questions. If they don't know the answer, they're going to give you some tools to kind of submit those questions in different ways. So we, we would love for you to give some shout outs, share this right now. Uh, it's just amazing what's happening across north central Indiana and beyond uh, through this live stream. And before we get into kind of our series content, I just want to share for a few minutes about what's happening in our world and, and Revolution's response. Because as all of you know, and, and Jeff just alluded to it, Jeff's our support pastor that was up here a few minutes ago. He kind of shared that like we are, we're in kind of a chaotic time right now. I can't remember a season in our world quite like what we're going through, what we're dealing with. And it seems like every few minutes there's an update, there's something that's changing, there's news that's breaking, and you know th- things that our president or vice president or different uh, government officials are sharing. It, in many ways, the world has been turned upside down by what's happening. 
But God is so much bigger than anything this world can throw, throw in the mix. Like God is so much bigger. The church is so much stronger than anything that comes at it. Like we believe what Jesus said. Jesus said that the gates of hell cannot come against the church. If the gates of hell cannot stop the church, then definitely no virus or disease or chaotic scene or panic. What, like nothing can come against the movement of the church going forward. We believe that. So we're so glad you're with us in this new way. We're going to continue to gather every single week. Uh, it might be in digital ways at times, but nothing stops the moving forward, the movement of the Jesus message in the church. And I just believe in this season, more and more people are going to connect with Jesus because Jesus is hope. And more and more people are going to connect with church because the church is the agent that carries the message of hope, the message of Jesus. So again, so glad you're with us. And uh, we, we want to be able to stay in touch. That's one of the things through this season that's going to be so important is those that call themselves revolutionaries or want to be part of this movement called revolution from around the globe right now. We want to stay in touch with you. We want to be able to notify you about changes that maybe happen around, surrounding the weekend or uh, many other things. There's serving opportunities in our community. We want to kind of share about those things if they, as they change or develop. So there should be a URL coming up on the screen right now, and our volunteers are going to put that URL in the comments section on our YouTube platform, Facebook, or our website. So you should be able to just click on that URL that's popping up on the screen. It's going to take you to a digital next step card. So keep this window open, keep the live stream going, and then kind of move over in another window or another tab or whatever, and maybe another device, and open up that digital next step card. And one of the most important parts is to update your information. So fill all that information, phone number, email, put your carrier in the comments so we can get you on the text messages that get sent out. Uh, and then also, we, we've been stating, like, nothing is more important than being in a life group, especially in this season. We want everyone watching that calls Revolution their church to be in a life group, especially for this season we're in. Because even though we might not be able to gather sometimes on the weekends because of the amount of people that gather at Revolution, we can still gather as life groups, at least for now. And, and we just believe it's so important for life groups to gather. So we're hoping some new short-term life groups start out of this. Uh, that people get involved in life groups already going, that new life groups form that just last through this series, whatever it may be. So mark life group on that digital, digital next step card if you're not in one already so we can get you connected. We'll get with you this week about that. That's the best way to take that first step of getting in a group because we, and we're even saying, hey, life groups, get together at 9 or 11 when this live stream is broadcast. Watch the live stream, have breakfast together, have brunch, have lunch, whatever it is, and then, and then you know, circle up and have discussion right after the live stream. And maybe we'll even think about rebroadcasting it sometimes in the evening because we know a lot of life groups meet on Sunday evening. So, uh, so take Mark life groups on that next step card online. A couple other ways. Hopefully you've had a chance to, to fill that out and submit that. And a couple other ways we've created for you to connect is we, we have this new email. It's connect at revolutioncc.org. Every question you have, if it relates to cancellations or uh, rescheduling or, or anything beyond that, any single question you have, filter it through connect at revolutioncc.org. And, and like that'll be filtered through the right people, the right staff members or leaders at Revolution to answer your questions, to help in any way we can. Our church offices are going to remain open in Logan Sport at 3930 East Market Street. So uh, th there'll be a little changes this week with office hours because some people pulled some all-nighters for this stream to happen right now. So, But uh, the offices will be open, so feel free to stop by and, and talk with staff. 
Uh, and again, mo more than anything, we are just challenging everyone. Let's be the church. Church is not about being in a building on a Sunday morning. The church is, is us as the body of Jesus living out the ways of Jesus in this world. And one of the ways of Jesus is prayer. And maybe you saw, like, today our, our president issued that this is the national day of prayer for this crisis that we're in. So we're going to pray in just a moment as we kind of dive into this third week of the series. But I just want to pray over everything happening in our world. I, I challenge all of you. We had this time of prayer at 3.20 p.m. through this season we went through as a church for two years. I'm challenging you to put that alarm back in your phone at 3.20 p.m. and just say a prayer for our world and pray for those that are affected with this virus. Pray for uh, our medical staff, our, our leaders, our president, and, and just pray for a miracle. Like we are believing that, like, that all the time frames and numbers and stuff that are thrown out, like God's going to work a miracle in the United States through this, and, and he's going to get all the glory for it. So let's just pray right now as we kind of dive into this. God, Again, I, who knows how many hundreds of people are gathered as the church right now, not just Revolution Church, but capital C Church around this world. It's, it's millions, probably billions of people this morning looking for hope, looking for something that is definitely not found in the news, it's definitely not found at the stores, it's definitely not found you know, anywhere you go in this world, this thing called hope, it's only found in a relationship with you. So my foundational prayer in this is that people would come to know you, that this chaos would bring people to the feet of Jesus and that you would meet them right where they're at and in them surrendering to you that, that this new life would form, this new hope would form within them. And God, I just thank you for what you're going to do. I pray for our president. I pray for our leaders. I pray for the medical staff. I pray for all those that are struggling with sickness right now, for healing, for miracles. And we give you all the praise for it, God. And just guide us as we dive into this third week of our series. In Jesus' name, amen. So it, this is the third week of final week, and just if you haven't been here for any of this series, let me just kind of explain what this is about. Uh, final week is we're looking at the final seven days of Jesus' life on earth, kind of leading up to the biggest event in history, the resurrection of Jesus. And we're looking at the stories and events of those final seven days as told by Mark, one of the gospel writers. There's four gospel accounts that tell the story of Jesus' life. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, first four books of the New Testament. And in all four of those books in the New Testament, there's a significant amount of the writing that's dedicated to the final week, the final seven days of Jesus' life on earth. And Mark is, is the most. Over half of the book of Mark is those final seven days. And so we've been looking at the stories. In week one, we talked about the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem, how he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. And we were challenged with three amazing, huge truths about God and about us. And then last week, Nate Scott, our worship arts director that was playing acoustic guitar in the worship earlier, he, he went through this, the hangry story and the angry story is what he called it. And he he uh, talked about what, what, are the, what are the tables you need to flip over in your life? What, what's something you need to get angry about and do something about? And as we move into the next part of the story, Mark doesn't really give us a story. He actually just tells, a, tells about a bunch of different conversations that Jesus has with religious leaders. 
The next 51 verses are like seven different conversations that Jesus has with all these different religious leaders and religious groups. And we're not going to read all 51 verses. If you're watching online, don't worry. We're not reading 51 verses all together today, but I am challenging life groups. Man, that would be a great next step in your life group to kind of go around the circle and read all 51 verses uh, of these different conversations because there's so much there. But here's, here's the first verse that comes right after the stories we looked at last week. Mark eleven twenty seven. it says, they arrived again in Jerusalem, and while Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. Chief priests, teachers of the law, and the elders. And that's just three of the religious groups that are mentioned in these 51 verses. There's actually other religious groups mentioned, Sadducees, Herodians, uh, Pharisees. And, and Pharisees, that's actually the, the religious group that Jesus has the most run-ins throughout the Gospels. You see Pharisees mentioned quite a bit. Uh, Jesus calls them out on all kinds of things. And actually, uh, the word Pharisee is derived from the Hebrew word that means to separate, which is what these religious leaders and religious groups were all about, separation. And we, we talked about it in week one. Religion is really good at keeping people out. Religion's really good at separating people, dividing people. These Pharisees were super religious. Like religion puts up walls to keep people out. Jesus builds bridges to invite people in. And that's why this COVID-19 virus did not shut down Revolution Church and Revolution Services. We just built a new bridge because that's the ways of Jesus. Jesus builds bridges to invite people in. So again, so glad you're on this bridge right now with us. Um, and, and something else about the Pharisees. Of course, they were super religious about, you know, looking better than others. And, and also, they, they felt like they were guardians of the law and the oral traditions. Let me explain that a little bit. So there were 613 Levitical laws in, in the law of Moses, 613 rules. But the, the Pharisees didn't think that was enough, so they created all these oral traditions to put rules on top of rules on top of rules. And for example, like one of the, the laws said, you 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 uh, could not work on the Sabbath. To honor God's holy day, one day a week was for no work. But the question they wanted to answer was, well, what's work and what's not? So they created all these rules on top of the Sabbath. They decided you couldn't walk more than 2,000 cubits, which is about two-thirds of a mile. And I'm not sure how they figured that out without a Fitbit. I don't know how they kept that law, but they, they, they couldn't walk more than two-thirds of a mile. They couldn't pick up but a certain amount of weight. They couldn't heal people on the Sabbath, and on and on and on with their rules. So that, that's just a little bit about the Pharisees, just one of the six groups of religious people mentioned in, the, in these conversations in Mark 11 and 12. And, and this is so important. There were small differences within all these religious groups. Herodians, Pharisees, Sadducees, chief priests, you know, elders, all that kind of stuff. But they all had at least one thing in common. They knew the scriptures. Like they read the scriptures, they studied the scriptures, they taught the scriptures, they expounded on the scriptures, they memorized the ancient scriptures. They would have memorized the entire Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible by the time they received their religious title or became part of their religious groups. Yet their knowledge of the scripture, their extreme knowledge of the scripture, had not led to life transformation. It had led to more and more pride. That's so important. Like their, their knowledge and understanding of the scriptures, it had not led to a transformed life. It had led to pride. And maybe if you're watching this, maybe you've met some people that like they know the Bible so well, it's become like a pride thing. And uh, actually, I remember when I was a kid, uh, our family would go visit my two aunts in Illinois a couple times a year, Springfield, Illinois, 
And uh, we, we would go there, and, and one of my aunts always went to church, so we would go to church with her, and the church that we would go to, every time I went that I can remember, in Sunday school, they did these things called Bible drills. And if you're not familiar with a Bible drill, a Bible drill is when the Sunday school teacher pulls a few kids up in the front of the class and says like a, a Bible reference, like Jeremiah 29.11, and you all, every, every kid has a physical Bible, and the first one to find Jeremiah 29.11 and start reading it out loud is the winner. And not to brag... I was pretty flipping good at this. And um, so, like, Bible drills, like, I, I was like Doc Holliday in Tombstone, man. Jeremiah 29, poof, and I start reading it, or uh, Galatians 2.10, but, it, and, and I, I get a little swagger to me in those Bible drills, because I just dominated. But anyway, uh, th that's how these religious leaders were to the extreme. They weren't allowing their lives to be transformed by the Scriptures their study and even teaching of the scripture was contributing to a life full of pride. And toward the end of the conversations, all these conversations, and we'll dive into different parts of Mark 11 and 12 today, but toward the end, Jesus just calls them out on this. And here's what Jesus says in Mark 12, verse 38, and we heard it read earlier. It says, as he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. There's that description again. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. Like their, their scriptural knowledge, it had not led to transformation. It had led to look at me and how amazing am I, look at my robe and all, like a life of pride. But listen to what Jesus says. But they devour widows' houses and for a show they make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Think about this. These guys that knew the scriptures like the back of their hand, they had memorized the scriptures. They would have dominated me in Bible drills, I promise. Yet Jesus says to these people, you're so far away from following God, there's a special punishment waiting for you. I mean, this is one of the most intense things Jesus ever says. These people were so deceived, and they were deceiving others. Their scripture understanding had not led to life transformation. So I want to talk today for our, for our remaining time about how the Bible goes bad. How for all of us, the Bible can go bad. How we, just like these religious leaders, can use the scriptures in a way that they were never intended to be used. And, and maybe you're watching this right now and you would say, well, I'm, I'm not a Bible person yet or a Jesus person. And, and if you're watching the live stream and that's you, man, so glad you've tuned in. We started Revolution Church for people that aren't sure about Jesus and are sure to kind of figure this thing out together. So love that you're tuning in. And I guarantee you'll connect with some of this. You've met some Christians that struggle with some of these things we're going to talk about. And maybe as we call some of it out and for the Christ followers that are watching, like we start to work on this, maybe it helps those that aren't sure about Jesus yet take a step as well. Uh, and, and just one more clarification, this is not just for those of us that are like modern day Bible scholars, know the Bible really well, pastors, ministers, or whatever. This is for anyone watching that takes the Bible seriously and takes following Jesus seriously. Because the, the same things that cause the teachers of the law to miss it can cause us to miss it as well. So here's the first way the Bible goes bad. Hopefully you're ready for this. Here we go. First way the Bible goes bad is when we use it as a microscope instead of a mirror. See, in, instead of looking at their own problems, these religious leaders were all about examining and pointing out the problems in other people. And we struggle in the same ways. I mean, we, we put other people under the moral microscope instead of looking at ourselves in the mirror. And why? 
because it's easier. Because it's easier. But see, the, the purpose of the Bible is not to judge the world and point out all of the problems in the world. Like, God's going to handle that once everything's said and done. He's got that. The, the point of the Bible is not to look at others under a microscope and, and see all the detailed flaws within them and try to make ourselves feel better because we think we're living out what the Bible says better than they are. No, the, the point of the Bible is to look at ourselves and understand ourselves and our sin and our issues in, in, in the mirror and in, in to understand the better way of living that Jesus offers those of us that are following him. But it's so much easier to use the Bible as a microscope than a mirror. I, I struggle with this, especially, I think it's even amplified as a pastor, because the first time I read a verse, often my thought is, well, what, how can I make this into a graphic and share it on social media? Because I guarantee there's so many other people that need to see this verse too. Or, or uh, if I'm doing even personal devotions, like there's a temptation of, well, how can I use this in the sermon on Sunday for Revolution Church? So maybe there's some personal devotion stuff that I'm sharing today, but it's just a struggle we have instead of reflecting on what, what, what's the mirror say to me like we think about others. And see, God was so clear through his inspiration of the biblical authors to what the purpose of Scripture is. Because here, here's what James, the, the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, was inspired by God to write down. And real, real quick aside, uh, let me give some love to Easter, which is coming up in less than a month from now, by the way. Uh, James, we're going to look at his writing in a second. James was the brother of Jesus, and guess what? James did not believe his brother was God. And, and if you're watching this and you have a brother, I, it would take something huge to believe that your brother was God, right? Like something miraculous, like super supernatural, like beyond supernatural even. And that's how it was for James. He did not believe Jesus was the Son of God until an event happened that we call the resurrection where Jesus predicted and then rose from the dead. And we celebrate that event on Easter, the, the foundational event of our faith where just everything in this world changed. And I'm believing, and, and be praying about this, those watching, I'm believing we're going to be able to meet in person for sure and live for that celebration this year, and it's going to be amazing. Anyway, here's what James says. So he, he experiences the resurrection, he becomes a Christ follower, and he says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror. A what? A mirror. Like God's word, scripture is a mirror. That's what it is. And here's the mistake we make with it. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. And I love that James references a guy in this verse. Like a, a guy that looks in the mirror and immediately goes away and, and forgets what he looks like. Because girls, girls know how to use mirrors, right? Like girls look in a mirror and they, they know how to adjust things and, and walk away a different person based on what they saw in the mirror. Guys look in the mirror. We still, we walk away. We got the pasta stain on the shirt, like lettuce in the teeth still, zit on the end of our nose that we somehow missed. I mean, I, so anyway, I, and I really want us to think about this illustration. Let, let me ask a simple question about this. What are mirrors for? Like, what is the purpose of a mirror? And here's my simple answer to that question. Pretty simple guy. Mirrors are for changing me. And let's just say that together. Everybody watching online, here we go. Mirrors are for changing me. We look in mirrors to make sure our hair is properly in place, 
I don't have that issue anymore, but some of you, that's, you got to like fix the hair or to, to just check if something's in the teeth or, uh, or, or to make sure the lipstick's on straight or there's not some random nose hair that's made its way too far south that needs plucked. Like that's my world now. Like I don't have to worry about this hair anymore. I got to worry about this hair and this hair. Because I'll wake up in the morning and somehow a nose hair grew two, two inches overnight. It's blending in with the mustache. You got to look. That's not a nose hair. That's way too much information. Let's keep going. Hate getting old. But no, mirrors are for changing me. And see, we, we know the Bible has turned into a microscope. When the first thing we think about when we're doing a devotion is that person or this friend or my boss or my spouse, if, if the first thing I do with a sermon isn't reflect on it and say, what's my next step based on this, but I just share it with five people, we're probably bordering on microscope over mirror. And by the way, we want you to share this. Share this as many times as you can, but let's reflect on it in the mirror first. If before I even personally reflect on a verse, I'm texting it to 10 people, we're probably struggling with that microscope over mirror. And I, I think this can even be a temptation for life groups, because life group leaders, um, don't let your group time be about other people, other people outside of the group that they, they know struggle with the things that you're talking about. Like, we've, we've, we've experienced this before. Like, the group leader will ask the question, like, uh, in what ways do you use the Bible as a microscope over a mirror? And, like, somebody in the group's like, well, the last church I went to, they were so judgmental, and they, just, they, they were always talking about how bad you were, and the pastor just preached about all our problems. He never owned any problems. And maybe that's true. But you're not there anymore. You're in this group right now, and we've got to reflect on, okay, what can we do about this? How can we change this in the mirror? Every time we read the Bible, we should ask the question, what do I need to change based on what I just read? There's, there's no Bible passage ever written that's just to fill our head. What do I need to change based on what I just read? And hey, for the students watching, I know they talked earlier about a student group question. I want to give you that question right now. I want you to think about this week in your student groups or you know, as you're just reflecting on this talk yourself, in, in what ways are you tempted to use the Bible as a microscope instead of a mirror? Think about that this week. So back to the Gospel of Mark. Let's look at one specific conversation that happens in the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to get the second way the Bible goes bad. Here, so let's go to chapter 12, verse 13. It says, later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. Because these guys were always trying to deceive Jesus. They were deceivers. They came to him and said, teacher, we know you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Now, here, here's what they were really focused around, though. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Should we pay taxes or not? And, and some of you watching, like, you're, you're in that world, tax day, April 15th, and you've been talking to Jesus about this because you're going to have to... You're going to have to write a check to the federal government, and you've been asking Jesus, because we're in a crisis right now. Maybe they wouldn't even see it, Jesus. Do I really have to pay taxes or not still? And by the way, the answer is yes. But uh, here's what Jesus said. Here's what Jesus said. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. So yeah, you need to pay taxes, and you need to give generously to the kingdom work of God. But here, here's the point. These guys were always looking for a loophole in the law to benefit themselves. They were all about building laws on top of laws on top of laws on top of laws when it benefited them. But anytime they wanted to avoid something, they were always trying to find a loophole in the law so they didn't have to live that out because they didn't want to. 
And here's the second way the Bible goes bad, is when we look for loopholes. When we're constantly trying to get around things in the Bible, because, you know, I just don't think that's very clear. Like, love your enemies, do good to those that despitefully use you. Like, so vague, what's that even talking about? No, it's just difficult, right? It's crystal clear uh, where where Jesus says, uh, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me for whoever finds their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Oh, what does that, what's that even talking about? No, that's just hard. It's just really hard to live that. It's crystal clear. It's just difficult. And and what we do is when, when we come across something we don't like about scripture, we'll try to find a loophole around it. We'll try to find a loophole. I'm sure some of you watching, you've maybe heard of the Thomas Jefferson Bible. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, he, he uh, developed this 84-page document back in the 1800s toward the end of his life that we now call the Thomas Jefferson Bible. You can go to the Smithsonian and actually see this in person. And what he did to develop this Bible was he, he got a, a regular Bible and he took an X-Acto knife and he would cut parts of the Bible out that he didn't like and throw it away. And he'd cut other parts of the Bible out that he liked, and he'd glue it to a separate sheet of paper. So he developed this 84-page Thomas Jefferson Bible. And, and you would go to the Smithsonian, if you're a Jesus follower, and you would see this, and you'd be like, dude, thanks for signing the Declaration of Independence, but what were you thinking with this? Until we realize we do this as well. It's just not as blatant as what he did. Because this is exactly what the teachers of the law did. They, they decided to be super strict about some things and totally ignore other things. And Jesus was constantly confronting their hypocrisy. And, and, and kind of bringing both of our points together today, let, let's, let's kind of take the mirror of Scripture and think about how we're tempted to do this as well. Because there, like, there are some verses that we'll read and we'll, be, like, we'll look in the mirror and we'll be like, well, yeah, I see what it says, but I don't really want to live this yet. Like, I'm not ready for this next step yet, so I'm just going to ignore this for now. Like, the, I'm not ready for that yet, loophole. Or, or maybe you'll, you'll look at something and be like, I see what it says here, but, man, I just feel God's good with it. Like, I just feel, like, I know what it says, like what the mirror says. I just feel God's okay with it. The, I, I just feel loophole. Or here, here's a good one. Or how about this? Well, no one's perfect. But I, I mean, I see what it says, but no one's perfect. Try telling that to a police officer next time you're pulled over for a ticket. Like, I know I was going 50 and a 30, but no one's perfect. (laughs) He'll be like, yeah, I know no one's perfect. That's why I've written 10 tickets today, and here's yours, right? Like, no one's perfect is not an excuse to not live out what's in the mirror. No one's perfect is true, absolutely, but that has nothing to do with the truth of Scripture. And we say this often at Revolution, it's okay to not be okay, but it's not okay to be okay with not being okay. I know that's confusing, but it, it's, it's not okay to stay where we're at. Like, nobody's perfect is not an excuse to ignore the mirror. And when I pick and choose which parts apply and which parts don't, then I'm becoming the, the judge of God in the Scriptures instead of the God in Scriptures being my judge. But there's never a shortage of people that will look for loopholes in the Bible instead of, instead of letting the Bible expose the loopholes in us. And, and you can watch the internet or look at the internet, search the internet over controversial Bible issues, and here's what you'll notice. You can find information on whatever side you want. Like, there's always someone that will speak into the loophole that you're trying to find. And that's why it's so important to think through Scripture in community with real people that are really following Jesus, that are in a real relationship with you. Like, this is why life groups are so important, because we need to deal with Scripture in community with people that we're in relationship with. So anyway, get in a life group. Uh, so the Bible goes bad when we use it as a microscope instead of a mirror, when we look for loopholes, and then here's the third way, fi- final way we're going to look at. 
The third way the Bible goes bad is when we major on the minors. So let's look at one more conversation in Mark 12 between Jesus and these religious leaders, the deceivers. Very interesting conversation. So check this out. Uh, Mark 12, 18. Then the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him with a question. Another one of these religious groups. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died leaving no children. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. At the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? And I read this, I'm like, what is going on in this story? I had to really think about it. So they're asking the question, so if woman A marries man A, not man A's, man A, and man A dies, and they don't have any kids, so woman A marries brother A, which is man B, but they don't have any kids, and that brother, that guy dies, so she has to marry brother See, it happens seven times and there's no kids. Who's she going to be married to in heaven? And, and Jesus says some other things, but the crux of his response is verse 27. Look at this. He goes, he's not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. I, I believe this is a nice way of Jesus saying, what does it matter? Like, let's talk about life here and now, God is the God of the living. Why are you worried about a woman that marries seven guys and they all die? Maybe that says something about the woman we need to talk about. But what is, like, you guys are focusing on something that does not matter here. And man, we, today, we focus on so many things in the Bible and argue and fight about things in the Bible that do not matter. Like, when's the Antichrist going to reveal himself? And is the prophet talking about a literal day or a thousand years? And you know, what kind of fish did Jonah get swallowed by? Was, was the flood worldwide or localized? Uh, you, you know, or why aren't dinosaurs mentioned in the Bible? Or are they? And why, you know, I mean, just in our life groups, we can kind of get caught up on all kinds of tangents. And when we do that, guess what we don't do? We don't look in the mirror. When we're focused on all the things in the Bible that are secondary or even further down that priority list, it, it gives us the temptation of taking a pass on the mirror because we don't have to deal with how we treated our spouse this week or how we lost our temper at our kid's sporting event or, or how we, we struggled respecting our boss in the meeting at work that week or whatever it is. When we just start discussing things in the Bible that don't matter, here's what it does. It distracts us from the mirror. When we do that... It's, it's kind of like wall art. This is, this is how I, I want to explain it. So like it, when, we, when we start to focus on the minor things in the Bible, it's kind of like going to an art exhibit. And I've never been to an art exhibit, but I've seen people go to them on TV, so I know how this goes. So when you go to an art exhibit, what do you do? Like you walk around and you stare at art. And you look deeply into that art because you want everyone else at the art exhibit to think that you know art. Maybe you're an artist and you're a really deep thinker. So you look in, like I wonder why the artist chose that color. And wow, look at that. And it, you see that hidden face in the background? I wonder if that's some ex-relationship the artist is kind of bringing it back into. And there's just so much detail. And you just stare deeply into the art. Listen, Scripture is not an art exhibit. It's a mirror. It's a mirror. And when we, when we focus on things that are minor in Scripture, it gives us a pass on the mirror. It gives us a pass on the mirror. So I just challenge you. Like, think about that. Like, do we, do we major on minor things in Scripture? 
And is it distracting us from what's really important? And look, I'm not saying you shouldn't do deep study into interesting things in the Bible, prophecies, end times, whatever it is. But like make that the frosting on the cake when you have tons of free time to just dedicate. Like wait till you're retired to do that. When you got all this time to golf and, and think deeply into things. And, but like don't let it distract you from the mirror. Because that's the biggest reason Scripture was given to us. To look deeply into who we are and who we need to become through Jesus Christ. So, last thing. I, I, what I want to do is we're, we're, we're going to hold up a mirror for all of us. All those watching online for just a few minutes as we get ready to close. We get ready to sing some truth in a second. But we're going to hold up a mirror. And we said this in week one. One of the three big truths we got in week one was this. God's word is greater than our opinion. And, and, you know, there's a lot of opinions out there right now. Like, in this world, there's all kinds of things. Like, you just search COVID-19, coronavirus. I mean, you're going to get opinion after opinion on, you know, how deadly is it going to be and what do you need to do to prevent it and, and where is it at and, and what this person says about it and, and just what, what you need to do to quarantine and just, like, all kinds of opinions out there. And we need to be informed, man. Stay informed. I'm staying informed. You know, have wisdom with this. But ultimately, what the mirror says, what God's word said is what's true. That's what's true. And that's what we need to be reflecting on more than anything else. Even more than being informed, what does scripture say that is true? So we're going to have some scripture read over us today. Just stay tuned on this because I, I, just hang on to maybe one of these verses that are read as we just look deeply into the mirror and what the truth of scripture says. shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. For God not has given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound of mind. Timothy 1.7. Psalm 46.1. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Joshua 1st 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Matthew 6:34. therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Mark 6.50, immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Romans 8.38-39 And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ our Lord. Revelation 1.17 Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Zephaniah 3.17 The Lord your God is with you. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, 
or rejoice over you with singing. Isaiah 35, 4. Tell everyone who is discouraged, be strong and don't be afraid. God is coming to your rescue. Proverbs 12, 25. An anxious heart weighs a man down, but a kind word cheers him up. Psalm 91, 1 and 2. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. <laughs> 